This episode is brought to you by the Beyond Evangelical blog. The blog contains over 1,000 articles that you can freely read and share with your friends. There are six themes I write about on the blog, all of which are related to the deeper journey and moving beyond evangelical. They are God's Grand Mission, The Deeper Christian Life, Missional Organic Church, Rethinking the Status Quo, Personal Articles, and Humorous Articles. Subscription to the blog is free and it comes with three resources. Two digital books, Discipleship in Crisis and Rethinking the Will of God, as well as the Next Reformation Seminar. You can't get these books or the seminar any other way except by subscribing to the blog. You can check out the blog and subscribe at frankviola.org. I was wondering if, if you could give us an image or picture of all-encompassing discipleship. Big topic, big topic. I've written uh, and spoken a great deal on it. There's a free ebook that your listeners may be interested to access. There's no charge to it. It's called Discipleship in Crisis, and it's at frankviola.org, my blog. And uh, it's one of the things that people get when they subscribe, which is free also. But um, in that book, I kind of lay out some of the myths related to discipleship that I believe are, are damaging or non-effective. And then I give what I believe to be the critical missing ingredient. And that is, gentlemen, living by the indwelling life of Christ. To me, that's the central theme of New Testament revelation when it comes to the practice of the Christian life. But it's so neglected today. And I would say that in my studied judgment, 98% of discipleship teachings and trainings and coaching classes and sermons and messages and books neglect that aspect. To live by the indwelling life of Christ, that's what a disciple is, period. End of sentence. Mm. If mm. we live by Christ because he indwells the believer, the true believer has Christ living in them by the Spirit, right? Paul says, not I, but Christ who lives in me. That's the secret to the Christian life right there. Mm -hmm. And so if one is not learning how to live by Christ, the Christ who indwells them, never been taught how to access that life so that it is not I, but Christ who lives in me, then you're not going to have discipleship the way you see it in the New Testament. You're going to have something very different. You can slap the word discipleship on it, <laughs> but it's not going to be the real deal. I have been stunned by the fact that when I have delivered messages on how to live by the indwelling life of Christ, or just simply the matter of living by Christ who indwells us, I am just stunned to see the reaction of so many Christians, many of them who have been in the faith for a long time, saying, I never heard anything like this before. Mm -hmm. And yet it's right there in the New Testament. That's the image <laughs> or the picture, is to live by Christ who indwells us. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the, you were talking about a lot of the 98% and, and we've been involved and are involved and we're trying to, Lindsay and I are trying to put what you're talking about first, the indwelling life of Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory in in our discipleship ultimately. But it seems so mechanical and, and it's like there's all these different groups. There's little difference in what they're doing and what, like say, Jehovah's Witnesses are doing or, or Amway or, or any multi-level marketing. And it lacks that what you said earlier, that spiritual power. 
Uh, yeah, I like that image that what comes first is Christ in me and, and living his life through me. That's awesome. That's right. And when I came to that discovery as a young believer, the question that followed it was how? How do I live by Christ who dwells in me? How do I access that life? How do I find the switch, right? so that it's no longer I, but Christ. And that has been an exploration of my own for many, many years. And some of the discoveries I made in that quest, I put them in a course called Living by the Indwelling Life of Christ, which is on my my website. Over 2,000 people have taken it, and it's really helped many. But it it first began with my own questioning of how, because that's what I want to know. If I learn anything about the Christian life that's new and fresh, and I've always been wired this way, I want you to give me the how. Don't just tell me about this wonderful, whatever it is, you know, if it's healing the sick, if it's, you know, encountering Jesus in the scriptures, if it's praying where you really connect with God, I want to know the how. Give me the how. And usually in the Christian world today, and this has been true for a long time, the how Mm -hmm. boils down to pray and read your Bible. But pray and read your Bible is really inadequate when we get into specific things like how do I live by the indwelling life of Christ? Well, it's more than just pray and read your Bible, right? All right. Show me how to pray in such a way that I access that life. Show me how to read the Bible in a way to where I'm astonished by the Lord and I can tap into his life in me, see? So that's sort of a question that's driven me all my life is the how. Don't just give me the what (laughs) or even the why, but show me how. And of course, you've read 48 Laws of Spiritual Power, so you know there's a chapter called, it's one of the laws, put a handle on it, you know, show me the how, make it practical. Yep. You wrote a little book yes. with a Mr. Barna <laughs> some years back, well, Pagan Christianity. That was the f- one of the first things I'd ever heard that you wrote. And I just remember how it's kind of polarizing it was. It's been described as a bombshell dropped on the institutional mm-hmm. church playground. Continues mm-hmm. to resonate with people. How many copies uh, has it sold so far? And I mean, just what do you have to say about it? Well, I'm glad you asked me this question because I I probably get mail from that book still, even though it was published in 2008. I will say a few things. One is Tyndale, the people who published it, Publishing House, is a really classy publisher. They send me a unique gift every time the book reaches 50,000 increments in sales. When it hit 100,000 copies, they sent me an elegant leather-bound version of the book. And then when it hit 150,000 copies, they sent me a decorative plaque that had the 150 mark with a picture of the book on it. To date, in answer to your question, the book has sold over 187,000 copies. I have to say, I wish wish my other books, (laughs) like the most important books you asked me about, I wish they sold that many in place of pagan Christianity. And let me explain why. There are two things I want your listeners to know, and my listeners to know as well, anybody who's listening to this who has read my books, pagan Christianity is not and never was meant to be a standalone work. It was only the first part of a conversation, the deconstructive part. And there are three books that follow pagan Christianity in the series. Reimagining Church is the next one. From Eternity to Here, the one we mentioned, is the third one. And then Finding Organic Church is the fourth one. Now, From Eternity to Here is also a standalone book, but 
if somebody's going to read pagan Christianity to really understand the whole argument, they need to read Reimagining Church from eternity to here and finding organic church. When a person only reads pagan Christianity, which has been most of the readers of that book, unfortunately, yeah. and yeah. they neglect yeah. the other three books, it's like hanging up the phone after 15 minutes of a two-hour conversation. And the result is that they almost always misinterpret or misapply the message. In fact, I cannot think of a single exception to that. The second thing is that pagan Christianity was written to a very narrow audience. It was written exclusively for Jesus followers who were disaffected with the modern way of doing church and wanted to know why. These are people who love the Lord, they hold to the historical tenets of the faith, but they know in their bones that something is wrong with the typical way church is done. So it was written, we wrote it to give those people, that, that audience, green light permission that they are not crazy. <laughs> and it gives Christians who have left the organized church to meet organically under the headship of Christ, a biblical and a historical right to exist. Now, if I was forced to update it, I would add a comment probably after every 30 pages that this is not a standalone book. This is not a standalone <laughs> book. You know, you must read the sequels to get the whole argument. And uh, You need a watermark across it. And also we have a statement in the beginning of the book and at the end, we should have repeated it more. And that is, if you use this book to cause division in your local congregation, we do not stand with you. You're misusing yeah. the book. You're distorting the message. The fact of the matter is, it's been likened to the gateway drug, pagan Christianity, right? An entrance into kind of the, the more radical work that I have done. It bothers me that we've had Catholics who are happy with the Catholic Church read the book, think it's for them. And of course, they trash it because it's not for them. It was never written for such people. People who enjoy institutional church Sunday morning services have read the book. And of course, they end up trashing it because it's not written for them. You know, that's kind of like saying to a person who absolutely despises Indian food, which I would be one of them, and you force me to go ahead and eat in an Indian restaurant and I have to rate it, I'm going to give it a one star. Not because it's bad, <laughs> it's, it's not for me. I hate Indian food, right? Yeah. So I would never give this book or recommend it to a person who loves going to Sunday morning church services. I wouldn't give it to a pastor. It's not written for traditional church pastors. And yet, those very often are the people who read it, but it's not for them. So I have to say that I hope every Christian on the planet hears this. If it's for you, you're part of that very narrow audience who has either left the institutional form of church. You've not left the Lord. You love the Lord. In fact, that may be one of the reasons why you have exited your modern church experience or you're on your way out and you really want to understand why it is deep in your bones you feel like church the way it's done today is not for you or something's wrong with it. The book basically explains that. Yeah, I see all the things. I've known people that have, have taken this book and bought it for pastors because they want them huh. to... To do it, you know, and and then the then the pastor will read it and get up, you know, up in their pulpit and debunk it, and you know, and it, it's and it's just completely pulled out of context is 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 what it boils down to. It's a great book if it's used for what it was intended for. I would just add a caveat to what you said. They don't debunk it; they try to debunk yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, there it's you go. Never that, that's, been debunked. Yes, yeah, no. <laughs> 
Because it's true. Anyway, we won't go there. <laughs> if anybody's interested, if they go to pagancristianity.org, it's important they put the .org there, pagancristianity.org, they'll see the whole series and they'll see what each book does. But again, if you like Sunday morning church service, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know, boy, the masses love Sunday morning church services and many of them benefit from it, then don't read this book. It's not for you. Read Insurgents or read From Eternity to Here or read God's Favorite Place Mm. on Earth or read 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. And one of the things that is troubling to me is that some people have read Pagan Christianity, not the intended audience, but people outside the intended audience, and then they won't read anything else I've written, which is kind of silly, but it's unfortunate because so many of these other books have helped pastors and have helped Christians who love Sunday morning church services. These other volumes that I've written over the years, they've really helped them in magnificent ways. So anyway, that's just me ranting. I'm on a rant. I'll stop. <laughs> That's fine. Just remember this, Lindsay. No curry for Frank, and, and don't get him going on pink in Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, yep. In episode 169 of your Christ is All podcast, which is fabulous, by the way, uh, you released an uncut version of your signature conference, uh, Epic Jesus. And in there, you kind of define organic church by getting uh, given a, like a, a stunning presentation of the glories of Christ. Kind of give us a behind the scenes of, of that message. I like this question because this is a story that I have not told to many people, and now it'll be public. But I brought that message in a city that was radioactive. I was under incredible pressure at the time. I did not know who was going to be in the audience. I mm. thought that maybe some of my detractors would be there. But just before I gave that message, I took my iPhone and I watched Reggie Jackson's third home run in the 1977 World Series. If you know baseball history, he hit three home runs in a row in that series and the Yankees won the whole series, but it was dramatic. And after that conference was over, I felt both tremendous relief and vindication because I had a really tough time (laughs) in that city, which I won't mention in previous years. Later, I watched an interview where Reggie Jackson said this of the three home runs. He said, quote, I just felt tremendous vindication because I really had a tough time all year long, end of quote. And I can resonate with that because Mm. that message was the analog to that third home run, for me at least. And interestingly enough, someone said to me after I delivered that message, And they didn't know anything about the video I had just watched before I delivered the message. They said, Frank, you hit the ball out of the park tonight. And I thought that was such a blessing. Yeah. Other people responded in ways that was very humbling, you know, jaw dropping, great, stunning, et cetera. And and so all of that really blessed me because of the pressure that I was under. Now, if people want to hear it, they can go to the Christ is All podcast. Christ is All is the name of it. It's on any podcast app. And uh, just look at the one entitled Epic Jesus. And mm. it unveils Jesus Christ in a way. I call it my stairway to heaven message. People mm, who are familiar yep. with stairway to heaven, it starts out slow and then it builds and builds and builds into its high fever pitch. And well, this message is sort of structured the same way. But I, I really hope that people are blown away, touched, blessed by hearing about Jesus Christ. Because really, I'm answering the question, what is an organic church? 
and I get to it at the very end, but they heard an explanation of what it is all throughout the message. So yeah, that's uh, episode 167. I encourage everybody to listen to it. Check it out. You've used the term industrial church and industrial discipleship. What do you mean by those terms, Frank? Well, I've never talked about this before ever. All right. So this is the first time that I'll be talking about it publicly. Cool. The the Christianity we see all around us is a system. And that system is built on mass industrialism. And what industrialism says is, quote, sell it to everyone. Do it again and again the same way you've always done it. (laughs) End of quote. It's basically the principle of the assembly line, which is effective and efficient, but it's mind numbing. And so, Mm. big box church, industrial church, institutional church operates by the industrial complex. And it asks this question How can we reach the greatest number of people? How do we get them in the seats? How do we get them committed to tithe? To put it a different way, the four-letter word that governs the industrial church is more, M-O-R-E. Let's get more in the pews. Let's get more who give money. Let's get more volunteers who are cogs in the wheel and who can be replaced. And the result is average, mediocre. Hmm. And as I've said before, average and mediocre appeals to the masses. The masses depend on average. And to my mind, at least, (laughs) what's average is boring usually. Uh, By contrast, there is an expression of church and there is an experience of the Christian life and discipleship that pushes the horizons. And Mm. that's what my work really seeks to unfold and explore. It's not for the masses. In fact, Some in the masses hate it because it speaks a very different language and it presents a very different vision. That's what I would say about industrial church, industrial discipleship. We're talking about the assembly line. (laughs) There's very little that's creative and in many ways real and authentic that's in it. Well, when you were describing that, I I don't don't ask me why, Pink Floyd, the wall came to mind and, and the kids, you know, the movie, the kids marching single file into the big meat grinder there. I felt like that was a perfect image of that. That's cool. I need to um, pull up the lyrics and read them of that song. Very familiar with it because that was playing a lot when I was in high school. Watch the video, Frank. That's what, yeah, I'd watch the video. That's okay. I want to hone in on this, this question, ask you just a little, all right, industrial church, industrial discipleship. If you had to rename what your descriptive discipleship and descriptive church mm-hmm. would be, what would you call it? Wow, that's a good question. And I have not given a whole lot of thought to it. I, mean, I know, I put you on the spot. I thought the part of the interview for difficult questions was over, and I'm only answering simple <laughs> questions. I think that organic is a great term, although that's been hijacked, unfortunately. It's the difference between the life of an artist versus the life of the factory. And, you know, the factory is that which we have the script, we have the routine, and we all do the same thing, and we put out the same product, and it looks the same virtually everywhere with some minor differences. The artist, though, is creating something that's unique, and it's real, and it has the touch of the divine in it. 
you know, that's another term. I don't know if we'd call it artistic discipleship, artistic church, organic church is the term that I've used for a long time. I think I want to come up with something different, but you get the idea. An artist can't be replaced. If an artist dies, their work dies with them, right? And so every artist produces something that's unique and distinct. And in the work of God, when a true ecclesia is born, it's going to share the same characteristics with many other true organic ecclesias, but it's also going to be distinct. Every single one of them is going to be different. Well, it's like a fingerprint, you know? There's uniqueness in organic expressions of the church. And the same way with disciples who are living by the life of Christ, there's going to be similar characteristics. They're going to have the fruits of the Spirit living through them and growing in different measures because we're all on a journey together. But also every Christian is going to be unique in their expression. And in the industrial church, it's all the same. The services typically by and large across the denominations are virtually, it's the same structure that came from John Calvin 500 years ago. It's not Mm -hmm. much different, you know, with tweaks here and there. And the way disciples are made, it's cogs in the wheel. It's the assembly line. Mm -hmm. It's all the same. That's a great question. But the terms that come to mind (laughs) on the spot are organic and artistic, and I'll have to look for a better term. (laughs) Yeah. We can also say (laughs) non-industrial. Or signature. This is this is signature church and signature discipleship. You know, it has Jesus' signature on it. Yeah. Yeah, that's so. good. Hey guys, this is a postscript just before you head out and we part ways. I've created a bundle of free resources. This would include my other podcasts, the YouTube channel, several free ebooks, free seminars, and other free resources. And you can find all of that at frankviola.com. And if you go to frankvella.com, you will see in the top menu a link that says free stuff. You just click on that and you will be taken to the free resources page. Also, a number of you have asked if you could donate to help defray the costs of the podcasts and also to express appreciation for the value that you've been receiving. You're under no obligation to donate. I don't ask for donations, but should you have it on your heart to do so, you can go to frankviola.us. That's frankviola.us. And that will take you to a donate page. There's three different options you can use to donate, all of them simple. Thank you very much and God bless.